mentioned earlier, my name's Owen. If we haven't met before, I'm so glad that you've decided to join us this afternoon, whether you're on the live stream or here in person at Oakwood. Great to have you with us. And again, as Will mentioned earlier, we are continuing today a series that we've been in now for some time on and off, about a year and a half almost on and off. We've been working our way kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line through Luke's gospel in a series we've entitled On the Road with Jesus. As we've followed Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, to the cross, to accomplish his mission, to do that which he came to do. And as he's journeyed along the road and encountered different people and brought good news to those people, spoke hope into hopeless situations, brought healing and restoration into broken lives. We've joined him and seen how the words he spoke to them and what he did for them in bringing healing and wholeness to them applies to us today and we can receive that message of hope and good news that Jesus came to bring in our lives today. We can know what it is to be made whole in the way that he spoke to them. And we're going to continue in that series today and, and Jesus has now come very near to the end of his journey, come very near to the end of what he came to accomplish on earth. He's in Jerusalem. He's arrived. We're closing in on the, the climax of Jesus' mission. Two weeks ago, we looked at his arrival into Jerusalem, and we saw that he arrived as a conquering king. He arrived as a king ready to win a decisive victory over sin and death, ready to bring freedom, true and lasting freedom, to his people, to those who would receive him. But along with that, he brought a warning to those who would reject him, that they would face destruction, but this warning was tied to a welcome to an invite, and we read as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, as his heart broke at the reality that there would be those who would reject him, that there was peace on offer for them, that there was life on offer for them, if only they would submit to him, if only they would receive him as king, if only they would surrender to him, stop trying to justify themselves by their own actions and instead acknowledge that they've fallen short and receive the free offer of forgiveness in him. He wept, said, oh, that you would accept these terms of peace, that you would surrender to me, that you would receive what I've come to give you rather than striving and trying to earn it for yourself. And then last week we read in chapter 20 together as Jesus continued to underline his authority as king of kings. So he shared that story about the, the rightful heir to the vineyard who was beaten, murdered, as people rejected his authority, and Jesus underlines himself as the rightful heir to the vineyard, the vineyard being a picture throughout Scripture of God's people. He says, I'm, I'm the master I'm the one who rightfully rules over God's people. Don't reject me. 
And then in these verses that we're going to read today from chapter 21, we join Jesus just a couple of days now away from the crucifixion. These verses that we're going to read today are probably Tuesday or Wednesday of Holy Week. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's going to be arrested and tried and will go to the cross to give himself up for our sins, to die the death that we deserve so that we might receive life in him. Having declared that the kingdom is coming, having arrived as king, Jesus is preparing for the cross, but he's also wanting to prepare those around him for what's going to come. And as he prepares his followers in these verses, we get to look in and we get to benefit today as well because what he spoke to them for their strengthening and encouragement we can receive today for our strengthening and encouragement and so we're going to read in a moment but just as we do I want to highlight I hope we've said this enough times but we must understand the context when we read the bible If we just take verses and we rip them out of their context, we so often run the risk of stripping them of their meaning and significance. We can easily get the wrong end of the stick when we rip something out of context. And so when we approach these verses, we have to understand the context that they were spoken in, and particularly the first five verses of chapter 21, which we're going to read a moment together, because they so often get lifted straight out of their context and used as a, as a piece of teaching about giving. And it's not that they have nothing to teach us about giving, because they do. So it's not the worst thing you can do with them. But we miss so much of what's happening if we don't read them in their right context. And so to make sure we get that, as well as the overview I've just given of Jesus' arrival as coming king, as his proclamation that he is the rightful authority overall, the king of kings who we should submit to, we have also want to read the immediate context of these verses. And so we need to kind of pan out a little bit before we get into 21. And we're going to read the last bit of chapter 20. Because where 21 starts is exactly where 20 left off. The, the verse and chapter dividers are not in the original text. We've got to remember that. And sometimes they serve us, they're helpful to navigate around the text, and sometimes they give an idea of where it's broken down into different themes, but sometimes they can really confuse matters and stop us from seeing things in their proper place. Jesus is teaching in the temple with people around him. He was doing it in chapter 20, and he continues. It's the same scene at the start of 21. No one's gone anywhere. It's the same crowd around him. It's the same Jesus speaking on the same day in the same place. And so we need to pick up at the end of 20 before we get into 21. The last thing we read then in chapter 20 from verse 45 is this. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, they're in the temple courts, there's people around, and he says it loud enough to his followers that everyone hears what he says. Beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus is in the temple, in the public arena, and he warns about the wealthy scribes who aren't motivated by the glory of God or the good of those around them. They're driven by pride. They want status and praise. Everything they do, Jesus points out here, is is a show. Everything they give, even what they wear, even the way they pray, is for the purposes of impressing others, that people would look at them and go, wow, they're generous, wow, they're holy, wow, look at them. And all the while they profit from the exploitation and manipulation of the poor and vulnerable who have no one to advocate for them. When Jesus says they devour widows' homes, the widows in that culture were without an advocate. They were those who were very vulnerable to be cared for, not exploited. Jesus says, these people, they profit from the exploitation and manipulation of the most vulnerable in society. And then he concludes by saying, they will receive the greater condemnation. It's like as, as they do this, as they make a show of their lives to win the praise of people, as they exploit the vulnerable in the society to gain more wealth and status for themselves, God sees and they'll be judged accordingly. And we've got to remember that. And have that ringing in our ears as we read these next verses at the beginning of chapter 21. Because they're still there. The people who heard Jesus just say that are still there around him in the temple courts. This is still the same scene. And so we read from the beginning of chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Having just called out the scribes who make a show of their giving, who make a show of their prayers and their holiness to impress others and pointed out their exploitation of the widows. The very next thing we read and see is that Jesus looks up and sees the wealthy doing exactly what he just warned about. Giving for show. They might be giving lots, but they're giving out of incredible wealth. It's not costing them but it's impressing others, and alongside them, a widow. The same as those being ripped off and exploited by the wealthy religious elite that Jesus has just condemned. She's not giving for show. 
She's giving out of devotion and sincere trust in God to provide. She doesn't give a lot. She gives about 1% of a day's wages. Two mites. But it's all she had. This is wholehearted giving. Wholehearted trust in God. See, she didn't give a lot. She gave two copper coins, though. She could have given one copper coin and kept the other, couldn't she? And I think the truth is, is, is most of us, if we were going to give her counsel in her situation, would have probably encouraged her to just give the one. But she knew that God had provided those two and he could provide more. She gave everything. It wasn't a lot, but it was all she had. And Jesus says in that it was more than all the others. Those who gave out of their abundance, who made a show of their generosity, those who would happily exploit someone in her situation. What she gave. And Jesus doesn't just say it was more than one of the others. It's interesting, isn't it? It's the, the, the text, the flow of the text is actually that, that all of them collectively, in all their abundance and wealth, with those two copper coins, as she gave wholeheartedly in response to the generosity of God, gave more than all of them. Jesus here seeks to flip our perspective that it's not about the scale of the gift, but the heart in which it's given. And as he does, there are a number of things going on. See, firstly, we are supposed to join the dots. We're supposed to see, actually, this is a picture of the injustice and exploitation that he's just warned about. See, these rich, trusting their wealth and status for security, they make a a show of their giving while leaving the widow penniless. Instead of exploiting her, they could have helped provide for her needs. In that context, there was no need for her to only have it. She was penniless. Those wealthy think they're secure. This is what Jesus has just warned about in chapter 20. They think they're secure, but they'll be judged. Their attitude to money and generosity is all wrong. It's actually all about self-promotion. Comfort. They've got it wrong. Back to him. Some of you, you're wrestling with illness and as you give your money into this, this will be the last day that you experience sickness as you give your money because God's going to bring you healing as you sow into this. And he used all these things that people would rightly long for for healing and wholeness, or for their children to be walking with God. He used them as hooks to manipulate and twist and coerce people into giving. It's vile. It's not godly. It's not appropriate. It's like the scribes that Jesus warns about at the end of chapter 20. But this woman, this widow... Actually, she hadn't been manipulated or tricked. 
but she gave out of a sincere trust in God and a generosity of spirit. And Jesus commends her for it. If you give, don't do it because someone has guilt-tripped you into giving or told you that if you give, God will bless you in some way or try to find a way of manipulating you into doing it. If you give, give out of a response to all that God has done for you. Do it freely. Do it willingly. Do it gladly in response to his great love for you. And as we see those things, Jesus uses it then to, to tee up all else that he's going to speak about in chapter 21 because he's going to spend the rest of this chapter unpacking the folly of trusting in possessions, prestige, or power to secure you. The very next thing that happens serves to open it up some more. So we've got to, we've got to hold in mind what, what's going on. Jesus has warned about those who manipulate the poor for their own ends, who make a show of their generosity and of their holiness to impress others. Then we see this widow comes and gives all that she has in response to God and in his expression of trust in him, while others give vast sums to impress others. And then the very next thing we read is this. While some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. Straight off the back of this, we find people looking up at their surroundings and marveling at it. The grandeur and the finery of the temple, the gold and the precious stones. They're impressed with the material that they're surrounded by. Clearly an abundance of wealth in that community. The idol of wealth has captured their hearts. See, wealth offers us a kind of security. It's alluring to us. It, it attracts us because it can insulate us from a certain amount of suffering, can't it? Yeah. If we have money, we can make ourselves comfortable in one way or another. Whether that's as simple in this context as providing for ourselves to pay our utility bills so that we have running hot water, a luxury which so many around the world cannot afford. To have running water full stop is beyond their reach. To have hot running water and a shower and baths is just unthinkable. Wealth offers us a type of security that can insulate us from a certain amount of suffering. It, it provides a buffer for us from some of life's hardships and challenges. And as such, it has a powerful allure to us. It sets itself up in our hearts as a kind of functional saviour that gives us a, an illusion of security and stability and comfort. That's one thing that's going on. The other is that the temple also represents, in many ways, a, a religious piety. A, a devotion, but a devotion for many in the context of a, a kind of self-righteousness and a trust in their own ability. For many there, it was a, a display of their goodness rather than God's goodness. 
And no sooner have the words passed their lips as they're like, ooh, look at the shiny things. Then Jesus responds. He steps in and says this. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is like, all of this that you're so easily impressed by, it's going. It's going to be dust. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? He said, see that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. Jesus is like, guys, what you're looking at, what you're so easily impressed by, what you're looking to, to bring you a sense of comfort and security and status, it's going. It's going. And what Jesus foretells here would actually come to pass within most of the people who were hearing him's lifetime. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. Actually, much of the stone was shipped out and some of it used to build the Colosseum in Rome. But there's a bigger picture message here too. And how much we need to hear it here in comfortable, affluent Wokingham about our trust in the material and the allure. Then he continues on. Verse 10, he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Having just said, guys, it's not going to endure. Wealth isn't going to secure you long term. Between people, earthquakes, unrest in nature, in creation itself. We know that all too much, don't we? We see it right now in the world. We're having a special offering today for what's going on in the Ukraine. That's not unique. From the time Jesus ascended until now, there have been wars. He says, don't be surprised. It's going to happen. Nation will rise against nation. And there'll be natural unrest as creation itself kind of groans and aches. All these things that we can tend to look to to secure us. Peace. You know, when there's an absence of war, it gives us a a, a feeling of security, doesn't it? And then war shakes all of that up. There are people at the moment, I know, who are living kind of terrified of, of what's happening in the Ukraine and the implications potentially for us. Heartbroken at what's going on there, but I think for some to be really frank, they're, they're just as concerned about the potential of what might happen to us as they are about the plight of those who are actually fleeing their homes right now. We're not always so different from the scribes in chapter 20. 
But all these things that we can look to to secure us, Jesus says, they're going to be shaken. And as they are, they'll prove to be a good deal less stable and secure than we'd like to believe. I think in the second least deprived borough in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, it's very easy for us to forget that. It's very easy for us to feel incredibly comfortable and incredibly secure with the amount of peace and prosperity that we experience. Even the most uncomfortable of us suffer very little discomfort and pain compared with many around the world and certainly throughout history. And Jesus says all of these things. They're not as stable and secure as you'd like to think they are. In the end, they're all going to be shaken away. And on top of that, Jesus says that his disciples are going to be rejected and persecuted by people. It's not just position or power. It's not just possessions. It's not just peace. But it's people, relationships, we read from verse 12, he says, but before all this, so before the wars and all of that things are going to go on, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you. The early church suffered immense persecution. It's gone on throughout the history of the church. Perhaps not with the same degree of intensity at all times. He says this, They'll deliver you up to the synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. It's like even if they come and arrest you for your faith, even if they put you on trial for your faith, it's an opportunity to bear witness. It's an opportunity to say Jesus is Lord. It's an opportunity to say when everything else in life falls apart, when everything else crumbles, when wars come and persecution comes and the wealth that you trusted in fails you, when relationships falter and don't offer the security that you thought they did, this is an opportunity to say my hope is built in Jesus. My security is in Him. My peace is in him. Carries on. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He continues. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus says, even family for some of you is something we find hard to kind of comprehend again in our context, but it was real for them just as it's real for many in the Muslim world today. Many in Muslim-majority countries face complete ostracization from their families if they come to Christ. To, to become a Christian means for them utter rejection from their families and the risk of death. Yeah. 
What's the picture Jesus is painting here as he continues to build through? It's every other thing that we can be tempted to look to to secure us, to give us some feeling of stability, security, or peace will not last. Even family, and I know that might feel really shocking to some of you. But he's saying if you're trusting your family to give you security instead of looking to me, you're, you're placing it in the wrong place. And Jesus hits these things one after another. But as he does, he also offers out hope. True security. As he say, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And you're like, oh, really? That doesn't sound very appealing. And then he says, but not a hair on your head will perish. It doesn't mean you won't die. He's literally just said, some of you they'll put to death. Okay, so he isn't saying that. (laughs) But he's saying there's life, lasting life, eternal life with him. Verse 19, by your endurance you will gain your lives. This is the hope of Christ. If you hold fast, he's saying, if you trust in him, if your hope is in him and not in these other things, you will gain your lives. Don't hold on to that which won't last anyway, to that which you can't keep. Hold on to Christ who will not fail. Then he continues. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and those who are inside the city depart and let, those who are out in the, let not those who are in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's two facets to this. Like Jesus kind of uses this to speak of two things all at once. One is the destruction of Jerusalem, which would happen a real solid historical event that happened that we just referred to in AD 70. The Gentiles referring to the Roman army who would just come and trample Jerusalem underfoot. The temple that they stood in right then would be gone. The city where they felt secure and so secure and placed so much trust in would fall. But over and over in Scripture, this picture of what would happen to Jerusalem is also seen as like a, a foreshadowing or a picture of what will ultimately happen to the world when Christ returns. That it will all be torn down. He continues, verse 25, there will be signs. This is now kind of pushing beyond Jerusalem and into the end of days. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity. Man, how much do we see that right now? People are confused. 
They don't know where to look to for security or hope. We've had two years of pandemic that's just wreaked havoc with the world. There's financial instability and insecurity that we haven't known in generations. There seems to be wars and rumors of wars more so again than for a number of years. Everything going on in the Ukraine, North Korea, never seems to be far away from the brink of something. China involved in one way or another in what's going on. The geopolitical scene is incredibly unsettled. Continues the distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. The powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. See, there's this weird mix in this passage of great pain and suffering that will come. And at the same time, an incredible note of hope for those who trust in Christ. See, this continues just as Jesus foretold it to this day. Wars and rumors of wars and unrest and natural disasters and conflict and suffering, confusion. It will continue until Christ, the Son of Man, returns. All these things that we try and grasp onto to secure us, all these things that we try and build our lives on, that we try and use as a foundation or some kind of security, that we try and insulate ourselves from suffering or pain with. We're going to be shaken away. These are the days we're living in. They're the days we're living in right now. From the moment Christ ascended until he returns again. This is the generation that we're in. And so what does Jesus say? It's not when these things are completed. Not when the end is done. When these things begin to take place. See, the people stood around him in that moment would experience the beginnings of this. And he says to them, when these things begin to take place, and we're still in it now, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Don't shrink back. Don't hide away when people persecute you. Even if they drag you off before a court for your faith, don't shrink back. Straighten up. Raise your head. Don't give way to fear, trying desperately to hold on to things that can't secure you anyway. Like the widow, put all your security in him and lift your head. Look up and eagerly await his return. And speak hope to others whilst you wait. Don't be ignorant of the time we live in. He continues on from verse 29, and he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. 
as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Just as he has done many times in his teaching, Jesus uses a picture from nature to help him and to help us understand. He's like, guys, you look at a tree and you know when the summer's coming. You've all seen trees, right? I don't know if you've been outside recently with this glorious blue sky we've had the last few days. But you know summer's coming. You look at the trees and there's cherry blossom coming through in places. There's buds, trees coming through into leaf, bulbs coming up from the earth, daffodils everywhere you look, crocuses. The earth is springing into life and we're like summer is coming we know the signs in nature we get excited about it jesus is saying in the same way open your eyes and look around you are there wars is there conflict are people persecuted for their faith yeah they are not as much here as in many parts of the world People are being martyred today for saying Jesus is Lord. People ridiculed for their faith. Yes. Then know that the end is near. Just as we look at the trees and know the summer is coming, know that the end is near. Christ will return. And just like everything else that is going to fade and fail to secure you, even the earth itself is going to fade away. Jesus says, this heaven and earth will pass away. It's all going to be made new. But what won't pass? What does he say? His word will endure forever. What Jesus has spoken, what God has declared, will not ever Change is steadfast, it is secure, it is certain. We can build our lives on it. It's enduring. And what else? This generation, these people, those who trust in Him, He's grouping together those who hope in Him, will not pass away. Your eternity is secure if you hope in Jesus. And then He concludes. From verse 34, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes my heart can be weighed down with the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Just saying no one's going to escape it when he returns. Like, there's not going to be just kind of someone missing who's then like, hey, what happened? Everyone gone? Like, that's not how it's going to work. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. In other words, that you have strength to endure, to hold on to him, and to stand before the Son of Man. Guys, let's be real. This isn't easy. Yeah? 
It's easy to end up taking on the cares of this world. It's easy to end up trying to secure ourselves with these different things, trying to distract ourselves just like everyone else. We chase after these other things to try and find security. Jesus says, guys, watch your hearts. Don't do it. Keep your eyes on me. Stay steadfast. Stay awake. Stay alert. Keep focused. Keep trusting him as the one who won't fail. To what end that you would stand before the Son of Man? That's that. <laughs> that is a great and glorious end. <laughs> to stand before him. To see him face to face in his glory, in his beauty. And not to fear rejection or condemnation, but to know the welcome embrace of our Savior for all eternity. That's our hope. What a day that will be. See, your job, your relationship, your house, your investments, your pension, it might all feel very secure right now. Or not. I don't know all of your circumstances. But in the end, it's all going. It's all going. Just like the temple they stood in. Ooh, gold. It's all going. And when it does, the only thing that will count for anything is how you stand before Jesus. How you've responded to him. Have you accepted the terms of peace that are on offer? Have you bowed before him as king and lord and saviour and received forgiveness? Or have you stood in opposition to him? Raised your fist against him? I don't need you. I don't want to go your way. I'm going my way. I don't like the idea of trusting in you and where that might lead. I'm quite comfortable where I am. Thank you very much. In the end, it's all going. When it does, the only thing that will count for anything is how you stand before Jesus. I want us to pray, and then we're going to come and sing one more song, and, and Will's going to lead us in communion. I want to encourage you to respond where you are. See, maybe today you are in that position where you think, man, actually, I haven't surrendered to Jesus. I'm trying to do things my own way. I've been kind of trusting in the fact that I'm good enough to secure me. It's crazy. Come and receive life in him. Receive forgiveness maybe, and I suspect this is more of us, you just know that Jesus' final warning to watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down, applies to you. I think, do you know, one way or another, my heart's become weighed down with the cares of this life. 
I've, I've started building my hope on other things. I've got a little bit like those people in the temple going, ooh, shiny. I've started to believe that that relationship will bring me what I'm longing for. That that promotion might scratch the itch I'm feeling. That that house, if we could just get on the ladder, or if we could just get that next size up, like then that, that would bring us some security. We need to be real. We need to stay alert. It's not wrong to own a home. It's not wrong to have a good pension. But if you're trusting it, you're crazy. If you're looking in it to secure you, there's a warning. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we thank you so much.